Hi, I'm Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative. And I'm Jennifer Watley-Maxell, the Program Curator for the Ministry Collaborative. Obviously, we are living in a time of seismic shifts. And these podcasts are often recorded ahead of time. These recordings took place before the most recent painful and poignant examples of racial injustice in our society. The Ministry Collaborative seeks to promote and nurture deep and searching conversations about God's activity in the world and our place in it. And so with all that, we commend this podcast to you. Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities. Learn from broad perspectives, taking risks, and who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hi, this is Mark Ramsey. I'm here today with my friend Ben Johnston Crace. Ben's been a parish pastor for quite a while, among them uh, co-founder of Farm Church. Ben, it's great to talk to you today. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We're obviously talking in the midst of this pandemic, and we both will, I think, acknowledge the tremendous pain, dislocation, all that's going on. So not to go lightly over that, but I think that's pretty well-trod territory because I'm very suspicious of any phrase that starts, everything has changed. Can we start by talking about what, in your perception, particularly in the areas of ministry, what hasn't changed? Yeah, it's good to be reminded of that. Yeah, me too. It is a watershed moment, but the idea that nothing is the same is, I would say it's even irresponsible. My wife was telling me, she read an article about, I think a player for the Miami Heat was writing about some neighborhoods in Miami. And he was just saying, you know, there are communities where home has never been a safe place. And now we're telling people to stay in their homes. And he reflects on his own childhood and said there were nights you know, night after night where my family for dinner had a box of raisins. Mm. That hasn't changed. That level of inequality hasn't changed. I think that one of the things that we do at a time like this is we become so focused on what we can see right in front of us and our own situation that we sort of forget that some of the overarching issues that we've been dealing with as a society persist. I think that's one thing that hasn't changed, and I think it's, as churches in particular think about, well, what does ministry look like right now? We need to have that reality in the room with us. I also think, you know, some very basic stuff hasn't changed. If this were a children's sermon, the answer here would be Jesus. (laughs) but Or a squirrel. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But the uh, other thing that hasn't changed is that we are creatures of community, that we long for community, that we make meaning out of our interactions with other people, and and that has not changed. It, that remains constant, but the context is so overwhelming at times, and, and we're not quite sure how to go about doing that. Yeah. You know, So a lot of these conversations have, that have been really productive have been sort of about, well, I think they get lost in the weeds of the mechanics of how to communicate and not what are we communicating about. Our need to deal with grief hasn't changed. 
This is not simply us cordoning ourselves off from each other. It's dealing with pretty catastrophic levels of grief, of loss of control and loss of, in some cases, income. And I realize that presents something that has changed, but I think we make a mistake if we gloss over the need to process basic human grief right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. I think those things have not changed. I particularly appreciate you focusing on, you know, the word home is a multi-edged blade. Yeah. And I think whenever I hear the rhetoric around that, I have the same caution you do. I also think what hasn't changed is the need people have for a gospel word, which to me does not mean we don't overlook all the pain and the uncertainty. We certainly don't become Pollyanna, but you know, people actually need a word that transcends them and not maybe more instructions on how to wash our hands right. from the pulpit or you know how to social distance. There are places for that. One thing I've been really trying to focus on in our work is how do we actually represent Jesus and not the CDC in our work, trusting that the CDC is going to do its work. So when we're talking about change, one th- I'd like just your reaction to this. In the last two weeks, vast millions of people behavior has changed. And we've been in the church for two, three, four decades being told, go slow because change is hard for people. Well, change is hard for people except in the face of life or death urgency. I get that the pandemic is a life or death urgency. As I read scripture, so is the message of Jesus. It's life or death urgency. Please hear this. This is a self-critique. What about my paltry ways of representing this didn't convey to people the life and death urgency of the gospel? You know, it brings to mind the scripture where it's Jesus's parable and he, the man says, you know, I've done pretty well for myself. I'll build bigger barns and I'll, I'll store my grain there. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you've done really well for yourself. And I'll relax and eat and be merry. And then God says, you fool, this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And it's sort of fascinating how the church has ridden along for so long saying, go slow, you know, take it easy. And somehow never hears that line, (laughs) you fool. It's now. It is now or never. Right now, I want it all. I want your life. Your corporate life is being demanded of you. And these things that you've stored up, this foundation, this institutional culture, the plates that you relentlessly keep spinning, the committee meetings, all of the busy that you worship, whose will it be? Hmm. It'll be nobody's. It doesn't matter because I want your life now. And so that gospel call is something that we hear occasionally. I think we hear it when we deal with grief, when somebody in the congregation, their house burns down. Or as you know, Mark, I have stage four lung cancer and have been dealing with that for two and a half years, that kind of diagnosis, that moment that you go, well, here is my life. What is it right now? Because the state that I am in right now is, could it be that that's all that matters? And these things that I've stored up, the schedule that I've packed, whose is it? Is it really mine? Does it really belong to me? And going back to what's changed, that, that hasn't changed. That, I think God's still asking that question. Yeah. I, there's yeah. sort of an opportunity for the church to look at, at itself 
and to say, you fool, all the things, whose are they? And what does it mean that our life is being demanded of us now? And the good news, part of the good news is that's a really exciting question to ask. It's not a damning question. It's not even a judgmental question. It's a freeing question to say all these things, perhaps I could let them go Mm. and focus on who I am and why I'm here. Yeah, it does strike me uh, that that requires a level of risk and risk right now is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. How do we deal with that? Because I, I would love to say to every faith community and every organization, take risks right now. But my sense is that people are about up to their ears in risk management already. Yeah. I've been saying for a long time, and kind of my shtick up until about a month ago, <laughs> was that our congregations need to develop cultures of faithful risk-taking. We need to take more risks and now I can, I sort of get in this new context, it's hard to look at somebody and say, well, you need to take some risks right now when everything feels risky. And I think the temptation is to say, well, let's make church online or our sense of being church belonging. Let's make that the one place in the world that's not risky. Hmm. I get that. And I sort of think about churches and places where folks are dealing with issues of discrimination, racism, you know, saying this congregation needs to take more risks and hearing people say, look, we take risks every day. We leave our house. So don't tell us that church has to be a place where we have to take more risks. I get it. And yet I think we all come to this sooner or later that risk is baked into the faith, thinking about Moses leading people out of Egypt, these stories of great risk, of wilderness travel, of reaching out in faith, of proclaiming good news in wilderness, of touching lepers, of loving those who are enemies. It is baked in. The DNA of our faith story is one that is peppered with risk throughout. And so I want to acknowledge the tension there, but say... This is who we are. And if we can't take some bold, faithful risks now, and I'm not talking about risky behavior. Right. I'm talking about the kind of risk that says, you know what, the barn full of grain, empty it now. Yeah. It needs to be somewhere other than this barn right now, not yesterday, but now. That is a putting God before our religion kind of risk, and certainly way before our institution our institutional health. You know, Ben, that leads me to think too, maybe risk is not the right word. And maybe it really is. How do we prioritize meaning? Mm -hmm. If we prioritize meaning, then everything else kind of falls. And if it's risky, it's risky. I think all of us are willing to pursue something harder, faster, with more risk-taking, if you will, if we think it leads to greater meaning. And one thing that we've been talking to church leaders and pastors as they've been in conversation with us the last couple of weeks seeking to come to terms with how to lead through this is God loves the world more than God loves the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I think God loves the church just fine, but it wasn't God so loved the church in John three sixteen. It's God so loved the world. Can you reflect on that, that what are the implications for faith communities if we truly believe that God loves the world more than God loves the church? Yeah, one of my lines is that Jesus didn't come so that we could have a whole bunch of churches, but came so that we could see and enter and celebrate, and I would even add, just co-create the Mm. kingdom 
of heaven. And church at its best is a way that we organize to do that, that we assemble as community to do that. And I think that the question for a lot of pastors right now is, what are we investing ourselves in? What are we telling ourselves? It's important to keep doing this. It's important to keep doing that. Or it's important to press the gas pedal here or there and put the brakes on here or there. We get caught up in this trap of, should I wear a robe in front of a camera? Should I pre-record a sermon? Should our band lay down tracks from their homes? Like, yes, may or no. The answer is whatever you feel like you have time for and that isn't going to distract you from what's most important. And the thing that a lot of that I think can lead to is what happens in a family system when someone gets a horrible diagnosis or there's a death and the leaders of that family or the people who hold sway or grab the microphone most often in that family system that they say, you know how we're going to deal with this? We're going to soldier on. We're going to keep this train on the tracks. We're going to keep marching forward because we need, we need to create stability here. You know, I hear that and I go, no, you don't. You don't have stability. It doesn't exist for you. So just can we acknowledge and affirm that? and even honor its reality, I don't think that we're honoring and affirming the reality of the situation when we try to flood people with information about how to handle social isolation, but rather when we do what God did in and through Jesus Christ on the cross, and we say, this is how I am with you. Mm -hmm in this moment of suffering, in this moment of isolation, in this moment of feeling abandoned. I love the story of Easter where they said, you know, if you really are the Messiah, come down off that cross and we'll believe. And this idea that Jesus didn't come down off the cross because he wasn't going to play their game, like I get that, but I think it's even deeper than that. It was like God saying, no, you don't get it. I'm with you on this level. There is nothing that can keep me from being with you in the midst of this suffering. This is how I am with you. It's how I'm always with you. And so the story of the cross, it's not just a historical event lodged in time, but a constant expression of God saying to the world, this is how I'm with you. That is where I think the church right now needs to enter the story and stay in the story. It's challenging and it's time of social distancing, but I think we could ask ourselves before we do anything or say anything, does this give an expression of who God is in Jesus Christ on the cross? Mm. I think that's a helpful lens. Mm. A question I was using with a lot of our groups, even before the pandemic descended, started with the statement, I think velocity is a spiritual discipline. And I've been very taken by sometimes what we do slowly, we need to do faster. And what we do very fast, we need to slow down on. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense right now what needs to go slow and what needs to go fast? Yes. <laughs> that was a, that good, was a good slow <laughs> answer. <laughs> it's interesting to think, what is it that we do so quickly 
And I think that the thing that we are so quick to do is to manage our institutional weight. The priority of a good leader and the, and the priority of a healthy congregation is to make the congregation successful. And I think we just need to say, one thing that we could receive right now is that, that we're gonna have to put that on hold. We're gonna have to slow that down. And these are just basic things that's tending to the stories that our people carry right now. The number of worship services I've seen online where, and I, again, I, we are all doing our best. I think just showing up right. and getting the darn computer to work is great. But the number of live calls where people in the congregation didn't have a chance to say or respond to anything. And then during the prayers of the people, people just erupted with wanting to share more than any other time in public worship together, wanting to tell a story about what was going on. We just need to create that opportunity. I think we're hungry for that. So church, not as a dispensary of information and inspiration, it may be that, but also trusting that the gospel story is working its way in and through our own minds and families and situations and homes and finding ways to give voice to that. It's like every church ought to have a moth radio hour right now so that people can talk about what this is like. I think we're really hungry for that. Ben, so grateful. Thanks for the time. Take care. Yep, you too. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.